0: The first command that Jesus ever gave was simple, repent. Literally this means to rethink, to decide to change direction in light of new information. The problem with many of us though is that we only rethink the next life in light of Jesus. But that's not what he says. Rethink this life. You who are poor, rethink your poverty. You who are rich, rethink your wealth. You who are moral, rethink your goodness. Why? Because the time has come. I am here. Are doing a a series called Rethink, and uh, this is a a series where we are kind of journeying through the book of Mark. It's one of the four gospels, and uh, we've now in our our third week of the series. And uh, so, this, this whole series is we're looking at it through the eyes of what does it mean to rethink our entire lives through the lens of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, He is the star, He is the main attraction of this entire book, and so as we're looking at it, we're looking at Him. We're looking at what he does, and then we're looking at our lives and maybe what we should do, be, and become in light of who he is and what he does. And so we've uh, looked at a few topics. We've looked at how Jesus began a movement, a movement of repentance, of grace, and devotion to him. And then last week, Pete led us in uh, looking at forgiveness and how sometimes we tend to think of healing um, as being the most important thing. But really, God offers to us eternal forgiveness and that has a huge impact in our daily lives. This week, we're, uh, we're going to continue uh, on that, uh, that same sort of theme as looking at Jesus, what he does, and, and how it impacts our life. And uh, it has everything to do with rules. John kind of alluded to this, that, that uh, he is the rule breaker. I was trying to think of, like, a, a good uh, rule-breaking illustration. And the best one I could come up with is, have you ever seen the movie Gremlins? <laughs> oh, yeah. Anybody like the movie Gremlins? Let me tell you, I did not like the movie Gremlins. And here's why. I was up for a full week after seeing that movie as a kid. If you're like an adult and you see the movie Gremlins, you're like, ha, ah, that's kind of funny and cute. When you're a kid, you are terrified out of your mind. Are you kidding me? It, like, So what? The, the whole movie is based on a premise, right? The, this young guy uh, gets a birth or a, a Christmas present from his father. Uh, that Christmas present, uh, they give the name Gizmo. It's this little furry, sort of cute creature, and a mogwai, Yes, the technical term for the fuzzy little thing. And uh, and there are three very important rules that you need to remember if you're going to own a mogwai. And uh, you cannot forget these. And so the entire movie is based around the fact that this kid forgets these three things. Can you name me those three things? Don't get, it Don't get wet. That's one of them. Don't, Don't feed it after midnight. And no direct sunlight. Yeah. So direct sunlight will kill it. Um, if, you, if you get it wet, it will multiply, right? So now you've got... And and whatever you do, do not feed the thing after midnight, no matter how much it begs. Why? Yeah, because it turns into what scares the pants off of a (laughs) five-year-old. It turns into a gremlin. So the whole movie is based on the fact that these rules are not to be broken, right? And the fact that they are broken by this kid who, who sort of just doesn't really pay much attention to the rules. He's like, yeah, there's are sort of rules, but I don't really need to keep them. And based on his rule-breaking, mayhem ensues, right? And so the whole movie is like, what are we going to do because this kid broke the rules? And then they went and made a second one, and some other people broke the rules. And, and I think there was a third one, but I don't, I don't know much about that one. But the whole thing was about not breaking the rules, because when you break the rules things go very, very badly, right? Um, Great story. Here's the thing, though. There's nothing worse than a rule breaker, right? (laughs) So, like, in the story of the Gremlins, it's the rule breaker that needs to sort of change and reform, right? The the fact that he broke the rules is, like, a really nasty thing. And, And so, as a society, though, we don't really like rule breakers, do we? Um, they kind of get under our skin. They, don't make, it, they make us feel uncomfortable. We, we don't have an easy time with rule breakers. And so I was trying to think of a few sort of examples of that. Um, one that gets me is like when you know you're about to get in line at the grocery store and you sort of pause for a second and then someone swoops in and gets in front of you. Rule breaker, right? <laughs> How dare you? Um, maybe you're the, the kind of person that you like to go into the... Uh, the express aisle, and you know it's 20 items, and it can't be... If it's 21, I am calling you out on it, right? <laughs> and so some some guy comes in, and you, you're counting the basket as you're behind him, and you're like, there's at least 30 in there. I know it. Rule breaker, right? Um, how, how about, like, a, that classmate? I remember this in college that, like, turned in everything late, so you... Went the extra effort? You stayed up late. You put in the in the work to get your assignments done. This joker comes along and hands in everything a day or two late. And at the end of the semester, you ask him what his grade was, and it's the same grade that you had. Oh, right. Rule breakers. (laughs) I'm sure you can think of a lot more uh, examples than that. Um, What's that? No way. <laughs> Pure talent, skill. <laughs> Don't mess with me. So in Jesus' day, there there were some rules as well. There, there were actually a large set of rules that if you're going to be part of this society, if you're going to be someone who is on good terms with God and with the religious leaders of the day, Uh, there are some rules, there are some pretty big rules that you and I would need to follow if we're going to be part of that society because otherwise we would, like the guy at the express lane, be labeled as a rule breaker. And, And more than just being a temporary label, that would be something that stuck around with you for a very long period of time. You would be labeled as a rule breaker, somebody who is to be considered outside of the mainstream of society, somebody who's just a little bit dangerous to the way things work. There were some rules that needed to be kept up if you're going to be part of the people of God. And so what I'd like to do, as we're kind of moving through Mark, um, Mark now sort of highlights some of these rules. And Jesus starts to interact and play with these rules and people, there, there's a certain group of people that aren't real comfortable with what Jesus is doing because he's kind of encroaching on some of those rules. And so the, the common denominator, and I'm going to write these out so you can see them, between the rules that Mark highlights at least that Jesus is going to start to sort of dig into Uh, The common denominator between all of those things is the word don't. I'm going to write it real bold here so Pete can't mistake it. Can you see that? Not bad, huh? Don't. If you're going to be part of this society... Don't do these things, because if you do, it's going to be like gremlins. There's going to be mayhem. Um, There's going to be scary creatures running through the streets causing havoc. Um, Not quite to that level, but you're not to break these particular things. The first one was this. Don't hang out or don't associate... with bad people. Don't hang out with bad people. The reason you're not supposed to hang out with bad people had to to do with ritual cleanliness. So somebody acts in a bad way, they they mess up the system, they become a rule breaker, then they are shoved to the side of society, and then the rest of the society says, we're not going to have anything to do with that person. Those people, that person, for what they've done. We're going to keep separate because if we associate with them, chances are we'll become like them and we too will be unclean. So you're not supposed to associate with bad people. The other thing that you're not supposed to do is forget the past. Don't forget the past. Israel had a long history by this point, point, in a lot of ways that God showed up, and actually a lot of tragedies that happened throughout the history of Israel. And one of the main parts of being part of the society in Israel in Jesus' day was not forgetting the past, and so they would have a number of rituals and feasts and celebrations all throughout the calendar year. They actually still do this in Jewish society, that remember each and every part of the past. And so even to the point where in participating in these celebrations and festivals and things, you were sort of reliving the past. You were reenacting it in a new day to remember, to remind yourself of what God did then and then what he could do now. Uh, The last thing that we're not supposed to do, uh, that we don't do, is to overlook the law. And this is probably one of the most important ones. Don't overlook the law. And when I say law, I don't mean some sort of um, traffic violations or anything like that. There is a religious code that began with what God gave in the Ten Commandments and then over time, uh, a group of people known as the Pharisees uh, expanded on those rules and regulations. The idea was that uh, we need to Completely follow the law because in following the law, we remind ourselves that we are God's people. It wasn't a way for them necessarily to earn their salvation. They were part of Israel, and so they felt like and knew and believed that God had them as a covenant community, that He had made an agreement with them. You are my people, I am your God. But part of becoming and being part of that community meant that you upheld the law in which He gave. And so it began as a very short list of items. And over time, that list of items, because people were concerned that there was some sort of gray areas in some of those items, well, let's just expand the list and get a little clearer as to what those rules and regulations actually are and how to follow them. And so a group of people, you may have heard them, called the Pharisees were the group that helped instruct Israel on how to follow the law. And so they multiplied rules. They drew out the implications for those rules so that people by the time of Jesus' day, could or couldn't do hundreds of things. There are actually something like 200 different rules and regulations that they had created to help people live according to the law so that they wouldn't fall out of favor with society and ultimately God. And so we have these three things. Don't hang with bad people. Don't forget the past. And by goodness, by all means, please do not overlook the law. Um, And so Jesus comes along, and in Mark 2, we actually see a series of stories where Jesus comes under some pretty intense scrutiny, and you ask yourselves, okay, why does he come under scrutiny? And the reason is because he breaks these three laws. He just outright breaks them. And so we're going to look at these three uh, particular stories and how Jesus sort of does this. So the first one is this, don't associate, don't hang out. With bad people. In other words, be clean, be separate. So we get this story, and Jesus comes along, he's calling people to be his disciples, and he finds himself coming along, and there's this guy named Levi who's a tax collector. And he says to Levi, Come, follow me. And he leaves his tax collection booth, and he follows Jesus. The problem with Levi is that he's a traitor to his national Israel. So people would not have liked this guy, right? Because he represents a country which is dominating the local people and saying, you need to pay taxes to us so that we can send our soldiers in and tell you how to do things. Not a real popular guy, right? Uh, Not somebody that you invite out to a lot of poker games, you know? Uh, Somebody that you kind of leave in his booth and let him do his thing. And Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to come with me. And so the next picture that we get is that Jesus actually goes and he dines in the house of Levi with some of his friends. So we'll pick it up there. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I love that phrase because it says there were a lot of people on the margins of society that had been cast out that are now collecting around Jesus. There was something about him which sort of brought out those sorts of people to be with him. It says, When the teachers of the law, Pharisees, the people that keep these rules, um, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I love that. Do you ever love when somebody has a question about you and they don't ask you, they ask somebody else? So this is like akin to like, Okay, really, what's up with him, you know? And so they don't ask Jesus directly. They ask his disciples, what is going on with this guy? Why is he doing this? And over, evidently Jesus overheard this because he says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What's very important is this society fed, don't hang out with bad people. Jesus says, I'm going to hang out with bad people because those are the people I came for, not the healthy. Right? I've come to associate myself with people of low standing, not people of high and mighty standing. This was very concerning for the people who were of high standing in Jesus' day because he is now tinkering with their way of life. Not only that, but he's implicitly saying to them, hey, you guys, you think you've got it all together, but... You're not all you're cracked up to be. This is a pretty tough thing to swallow, right? If, if you have sort of charged yourself with the duty of making sure that the community of God's people follows the laws and regulations of God and Jesus comes along and says, uh-uh, you haven't been doing it right because you've forgotten about these people. I've come not to call those who are in the religious system the righteous. I've come to call sinners, people who need Healing. Um, what, what's interesting is they don't realize that they are part of that category too. If we're being honest, all of us are part of that category because all of us have fallen short. This has tremendous application for us as a church because you may know that we do a lot of things that try to, where we try to associate ourselves with people that don't get a whole lot of press in society, right? They aren't the, the big... News catchers of our day, and yet what we try to do is create environments where we get not just to serve people but interact with them and form a relationship. So, I think of our food pantry ministry and what that allows us to do in the lives of people and how important that is for us to continue to do not not because it's good or because it does something for us, but because in doing that type of ministry, we're actually being like Jesus. And so oftentimes, we forget to be like Jesus. And um, I think that's a good reminder for us. The second rule is this. Don't forget the past. Don't forget the past. Um, And so Jesus comes along and uh, has another little interaction. And so we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, They were participating in one of the religious festivals of Jesus' day by refraining from eating. That was one of the things that you did. Some people came out and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but not yours? And so you've got these group of people that were considered the religious authorities of the day. They're participating in these rituals by fasting. Jesus and his disciples come along. And they are eating it up, they're celebrating, Um, they're having the best wine, they're just living it up, they're they're partying. More More bad people, I know. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. See, the problem that Jesus had with what was going on that day wasn't necessarily the fasting, In fact, I would encourage you as part of spiritual discipline and knowing, God, that fasting is a good thing. It reminds us of our need for God when we refrain from eating food for a period of time. It actually heightens our spiritual awareness. So there's nothing wrong with fasting. The problem that Jesus had with what they were doing is that they were entirely focused on not forgetting the past. That's what they were doing, right? They were rehearsing for themselves some of Israel's greatest tragedies by not eating. There's a big problem, though, because Jesus is the new thing that God is doing, right? He has already said earlier in the book, I have come. Um, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. A new day is breaking into the old. New things are happening. I want you to be aware of the new thing that's going on. The problem with the fasting of that time is that they were entirely focused on the past Jesus comes in as the new wine, and they have no ability to see him because they're so focused on history. So Jesus says, look, I'm the new wine, and you need new wineskins. You've got to be able to celebrate when I'm here because I'm not always going to be here. It turns out he was right on the money, right? Because later on in the story, he gets taken out. He actually physically dies. And then he rises from the dead, and he ascends back into heaven. So he's saying, look, the time that I'm here is the time to party. Um, So I'm trying to think of an application for this, and uh, the only thing I could think of was uh, how we tend to be focused on the past. We can sometimes miss the new thing that God is doing because we're so wrapped up in what's happened before. As a church, I don't want us to get this way because we can get really comfortable with what God has done in the past and use that as the fuel to kind of coast into the future. And God's saying, no, 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 a new thing is dawning. A new opportunity is breaking. I think of this with us going to Haiti and being able to to do a new thing there. It would be very easy for us as a church to be comfortable with the fact that we've started a number of great ministries that are doing good things and just say, well, we're going to coast on those things. I don't think God would have us do that. I think we have a tremendous opportunity to break into a new sphere of ministry, to do new things, to interact with people, to have God change our minds and our hearts as we do them because he's doing a new thing. Um, We can often get focused on the past and the the third rule that, uh, that he breaks is uh, don't overlook the law. Don't overlook the law. There are two stories. I'm going to focus on one of them, and uh, both have to do with breaking one of Israel's central laws, which is the Sabbath. Um, in Israel, in this day and age, you don't break the Sabbath. That was a time when you rested from sundown on Friday through Saturday, Because God rested. On the seventh day when he was creating the the heavens and the earth, he rested, right? And so Israel, as part of being patterned after God, said, we are going to take one day a week. We're not going to do anything. We're going to rest. The problem was, though, that over time that resting became pretty legalistic. So it started out as something that was created for people to experience so that they could have rest and communicate and commune with God. And then it became and turned into this sort of thing where it was, if you didn't rest on that day, then you were ostracized by everyone. It became this divisive thing rather than something that gave refreshment. And so this starts to happen. It says, um, another time when he was in the synagogue, so the place where they they teach the law, a man with a a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So he had become a troublemaker by this point, right? People aren't too excited about Jesus and uh, and what he's doing in the world. And so they've already labeled him as a troublemaker, and they're just looking for the capstone, right? He's already messed with the first two rules. If he breaks this third one, we are going after him. So they're looking for a, a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watch him closely to see if he would, would heal on the Sabbath. Maybe they even sent this guy into his midst. They knew he was a healer. And so they figured, we're going to put him in the same room with this guy. And if he heals him, we're going to jump on him. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. So not only does Jesus try to hide it, it it's not like he... He's like, okay, come with me in the back room, and, uh, and I'm going to heal your hand. And then when you come out, you like hold it under your shirt or something, you know? And nobody's going to know the difference. Then you go home, and, and I'll be able to go on my way, and everything will be cool, right? He doesn't do that. He says, look, I want you to stand up in front of everybody. And then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. See what Jesus is doing? He's saying, look, you've created all these rules that you think help people, and yet there's someone standing in our midst that needs our help, and you refuse to help them because you're so-called resting. They remained silent. They had no answer for him. And so he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. The word distressed there is kind of like grieved. He's sorrowful because he under... It's like you just don't get it, do you? You just don't see. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. So the problem wasn't resting. Sabbath is actually a good thing. It's good to rest. It's for, maybe for those of us that are uh, uh, kind of workaholics, we need strict period of times to be able to put down things and to reboot and reset and spend time with our families and time with our Lord so that we can come back to life refreshed and not um, just continuing the grind. The problem wasn't with rest. The problem was the fact that they used rest as a weapon to keep people at bay. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to associate with bad people, and I'm going to overlook the law for the sake of this guy because he needs our help. So as a church, there are going to be times when, uh, when we need to overlook some closely held rules and regulations, things that churches don't and shouldn't do in order to be and act like Jesus, right? I, I think of, uh, and I'll use Haiti again, the fact that we're going to a foreign country looking to spend lots of money on people that we don't know you just don't do that as a small church, right? Small churches need to, like, hunker down and, and invest at home and to, you know. They don't do this kind of thing. They don't have a global impact. That's for big churches. Jesus says, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, no. That's for you. That's where I'm leading. That's where I want you to go. That's what I want you to do. I want you to associate with people that you wouldn't otherwise associate with. I want you to embrace the future. I want you to overlook some of the closely held religious regulations that keep churches in bondage and don't allow them to do all that I've asked them to do. Uh, The result, though, is that Jesus' uh, rule breaking kind of marks him out as a threat. People don't really like the fact that, uh, that he's going around doing the things he's doing, saying the things he's saying, and so he gets this label on him. And uh, it's interesting because the very next verse after Jesus restores this guy's hand is this. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, which are the ruling class of that time, how they might kill Jesus. So you already get very early on in the book of Mark the fact that Jesus, from the outside looking in, things aren't going so well. You know, he's messing with the wrong people. He's doing the wrong things, saying the wrong things. And because of that, he is on a track that's ultimately going to head to death. And uh, from the outside looking in, it seems like that's a bad thing. In reality, it's the thing that Jesus wants the most because it's the thing which will provide the most of God's presence to his people. Um, So, why? You're asked. okay, he messed with all these rules. Why did he do it? Was he trying to be a rebel? Was he kind of you know, like the person in the grocery store just doing it for their own benefit, trying to gain attention from people? I don't think that's the case at all. He is messing with these particular rules because these were the rules that needed to be shattered In order for people that were otherwise ostracized from God's presence to be welcomed to the table, he was doing it not to be rebellious, but to welcome rebels. He was doing it so that people could come to know who he is. He broke rules to extend the presence of God to people who were otherwise cast aside. And by the way, we're all rebels. All of us are. Romans 3.23 says it the best I can think of. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can count ourselves entirely as rule keepers. All of us fall short. It's one of the things that the Pharisees failed to see about themselves is that they were the ones who were in fact breaking some of the rules that were closest to God's heart by trying to keep the rules that weren't so close to his heart. So, they too were rule breakers in need of a new thing that was happening in their midst, and they failed to be able to see it. Um, A great verse that talks about this is uh, Colossians 2 13 and 14. And I would say this if you are looking for a verse to memorize for yourself, uh, you can't do much better than this one. It says, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. When you were dead, in your rule-breaking ways, in your rebelliousness and your waywardness, God came and made you alive with Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It says, having canceled the written code, think law, think all the don'ts, God canceled all of that with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So God takes the things that keep us away from him. All those don'ts, which in reality apply to us too. He takes all of those things and he says, I'm going to take the regulations that kept you from God and I'm going to nail them to a cross and pay for them myself. And so what God does is, instead of saying, don't hang with people that are bad, don't forget the past, don't overlook the law, Anyone have some black paint? In Jesus, God chose to hang with bad people. He hangs with you. (laughs) And he hangs with me. Through the cross, he put away the thing that separated us most from God, which is sin. And he said, I am going to hang with you. In Jesus, God chose to forget your past and mine. In Jesus, God overlooks all the rules that we've broken and says, my grace is sufficient for you. In Jesus, God breaks rules. Thank God for that. So where do you find yourself? We'll kind of end on this. I think uh, most of us would probably fall into some kind of struggle with one of these categories. And so maybe you subscribe to the rule that says you're no good and therefore God will never, ever, ever accept you. And God would say in return, Through my son, I have paid that price to be able to associate with you and with me. And being part of the kingdom of God has nothing to do with self-esteem and it has nothing to do with how good you are. It has everything to do with how sufficient I am to pay for everything that you've done wrong in life. God associates with bad people like you and me. So we have no fear. We have no need to fear because we know that God is sufficient to intercede in our story. It's all because of him. Maybe you subscribe to the rule which says that uh, something in your history can never, ever be forgotten. Yeah, I, I would find freedom in Jesus. It's just that I did this. Or it's just that they did that to me. Or it's just that this happened and I just, I cannot forget it. And so we end up living in the past. And Jesus says, through me, I have given you the ability to live a new future. And it doesn't matter if, you're, if what you've dealt with in life has been generational. Maybe it was something that's passed down from father to son, father to son, over and over and over again. You think, I'm never ever going to get over that. I'm never going to pave a new path. I am doomed to continue the sins of my parents. Jesus says, I'm doing a new thing. I've got new wine and a new wineskin. Who wants to drink? Maybe you've subscribed to the rule that keeps you enslaved to a religious system, and you think, I just need to measure up. If I could just measure up, and sometimes I feel like I measure up, and so I feel really good about my life. And other times I really mess it up, like even before I get out of bed. And it just ruins the rest of my day because I feel like I've already messed things up. What's the use in trying to make them any better now? And God says, I've overlooked those things for you. Through Jesus, I've given you the ability not to base your life on merit, but to base it on grace. Given you a new way. See, rule breaking, it tends to lead to two type of people. Or, I'm sorry, rules tend to lead to two type of people. Either you become a rule breaker and your identity sort of becomes a, a kind of rebelliousness and you take pride in your rebellion. So every time there's a rule, I'm going to push myself and push back against it because I feel better about myself because I'm My identity is somewhat of a rebel. Or we become rule keepers that sort of judge other people for their rule breaking. And we become the cops on the block. All each of those lead to, though, are pride and self-focus, self-centeredness. I want to challenge you with this, that those who choose to follow Jesus, it leads to an alternate reality. It leads to a new path which is defined by two things primarily, humility and grace. Humility knowing that I don't measure up, that I'll never be good enough, that I I can't merit any good thing in my life, and therefore I need God to do everything for me on my behalf, and he has in fact done that through the cross. And so I live my life humble, knowing that he's sufficient. But not just humble, filled with grace, because I'm able to extend grace to other rule breakers like me. Because I know that God is sufficient, not just for me, but for them. So I become a humble grace giver to other people. And here's what happens. For people that follow Jesus onto this kind of path, um, Mark 3.8, tells the rest of the story. It says, when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him. Many people came to him. Why do you think they came to him? Because he broke rules. And he broke the rules that kept them away from knowing God. All of a sudden, Jesus comes in and he says, I've broken some of these rules so that you rule breakers can become part of my kingdom. That's part of a kingdom that I want to be a part of. Is it part of is it a kingdom you want to be part of? I hope so. It's really attractive to me. <laughs> I think it's the best kind of kingdom there is. It's the only one that accepts you and I on the basis of who we actually are and not who we claim to be. It's the only one that allows us to then extend the invitation to other people to come and to be followers of Jesus because we know they're not perfect and we know we aren't either. So let's decide and devote ourselves to becoming part of that kingdom, yes? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you, uh, you are a rule-breaking God, that some of the rules which stood opposed to us Um, were created by well-intended people. People that wanted uh, to please you and to do your will. And some of those same rules that were so well-intentioned ended up being divisive, ended up holding us away. And then you come in in the form of your son, Jesus, and you say, I'm going to break a few eggs And uh, it's it's not going to be fun for those people who created the rules, but it's necessary to accept those who break them. And so, God, we thank you as a room full of rule breakers who have broken our share of rules in the past. We thank you that in your son you've chosen to associate yourself with us we thank you that no matter what our past has held you overlook those things and you present us a new future and we thank you God that the law which stood opposed to us you took it and you nailed it to the cross so that it has no power over your people any longer and so as a people we stake our claim with you and we say our allegiance is with Jesus God, I ask that you would give us grace as we need it and allow us to worship you now in freedom and in truth. And we'll give you glory in Jesus' name.